Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. Uh, my next guest today, I call him the money guy because all his life he's handled big money uh, in terms of companies, the size of companies, the, the, the kind of challenges as he's dealt with. We're all about handling large transactions. So uh, he's very familiar with getting success with big numbers. So um, as I said, dealing with large companies. Uh, he's a former McKinsey consultant and then moved on to hedge funds. So now you know why I call him the money guy. And today he's the CEO and founder of Cartograph, which is a full service Amazon agency. They manage $200 million in sales, $30 million in ad spend, and they cover categories like food and beverage, baby, beauty, pet supplements, and they deal with uh, usually venture-backed brands. So uh, under their management, they have 80 brands. So with that, everybody, meet my guest, um, Chris Moe. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. Excited to chat. So did I do justice with your introduction? <laughs> I think you were a little generous, maybe. But uh, but yes, yeah, started my career as a consultant, uh, did a little bit of finance, and then uh, got into the Amazon world. Yeah, cool. So I'm glad you did because you've got a a very controversial theory because when I heard it from you, it was like I never heard anything like this. And then you said, well, the data supports it and this is what it is. So so tell us what that controversial theory is. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, we recently discovered um, organic traffic on Amazon is mostly not from search. So typically people try to dominate these keywords and then you rank up for those keywords. So that way, anybody who searches those keywords, you get organic traffic. So you're saying that this is just not the case. Not anymore. I think it used to be the case um, back in the past. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it kind, of, it kind of makes sense intuitively. You look at a search result, it tends to be... So pretty far, like on a phone, full pages before you get to an organic or organic page. But um, actually with Am some of Amazon's newer data, search query reports and so forth, you can prove it. It's not um, actually okay. organic from search. So if the search is not delivering organic traffic to you, to your listing, where is the organic traffic coming from? Yeah, great, great question. Like organic traffic is basically the most important ROI on Amazon, right? You, increase your BSR, Amazon sends you organic traffic. That still is certainly true. And so it was a little bit surprising to think it's not um, not search. And so the answer is everything that's not search. So these are things that like consider a similar item on detail pages, email recommendations, related items that you viewed, more items to explore, things that pop up on the homepage when you open the app or go to amazon.com. Customers also view kind of in those like carousel shovelers on detail pages. Those are actually 
Um, and then of course, uh, direct links from Amazon advertising, amazon.com themselves outside of Amazon. We're pretty sure those are where the organic traffic comes from because it's it just doesn't really seem like it's search anymore. Okay, so you said something just a minute ago, increase the BSR that drives organic search, but that's not what drives organic search. Conventional uh, you know, methodology is you rank up on, a, on keywords and then those keywords that drive your traffic ultimately ends up increasing your BSR, right? Totally. So yeah, l- let me let me clarify. You increase your BSR, you increase your organic total. It doesn't actually increase your individual search result performance. And so you get organic traffic. And so the assumption before was that you get it from maybe from search, but it actually doesn't play out. It's coming from these other sources. Okay. All right. So let me set up this conversation because there is a nuance here that that you are focused on in order to establish this theory. And uh, so for our listeners, I'm going to set up our conversation so that they can follow it through. So the what we know about ranking up on specific keywords, which will then drive your business, and overall, you have a BSR, a bestseller rank for any listing that goes up as a result of it. So what you are saying is those keyword-based searches, they are fine, but bulk of your organic traffic is the result of how high your BSR is. And the operative word here is the bulk of your organic traffic is the result of BSR. So what you want to do is push the BSR up, which then gives you exposure in all the external Amazon advertising, all the Amazon email marketing, and all the other exposure that Amazon provides for listings. That's what you are talking about, right? Exactly. Okay. So in this episode, we're going to dig into this. First of all, I want to see some data. What is the basis of this theory? And tell us how we can test this out. And then and then we're going to learn about how we leverage this. If this is the case, what are some best practices? What can we do? And I'm talking about not the big money brands, but sure. the average seller, what can they do? Because at the end of the day, Amazon is a very democratic platform, right? With a small right. D. Uh, it's uh, it's open. The data is there, especially now they're giving the data to everybody. Of course, uh, if you have too many SKUs, a lot more data, it's harder. But at the end of the day, everybody has access to the same thing. So what can smaller brands do and how do large brands handle this? So with that, uh, let's dive in. So where did you come up with this idea? How did you figure this out? Sure. So we were probably like a lot of Amazon operators trying to understand what is the ROI from like a top of search dominance, right? And Amazon released some new data and we said, okay, like, you know, in theory, you because usually top of search dominance is expensive, right? If you had to pay that amount for every single conversion, you probably wouldn't do it um, in a lot of cases. And so what we did is we looked at um, 
Amazon search query reports. So it came out probably a little over a year ago. And um, what they tell you in the search query reports is the total number of clicks to your brand from that search term. Yes. And so that in theory, total clicks from search should be a sum of paid and unpaid. And right. so what we did is we looked and we said, okay, let's look at how many clicks come from search. And then let's look at how many paid clicks are. Now, granted, it's not exactly one for one, right? You can have two paid clicks for one session and so forth. So, but um, what we found was that the paid click number was almost always more than 90% of total clicks from search. So the search query performance data that shows the total clicks is almost 90% of the paid search. It's, it's almost 90% paid because we looked at our ad, ad console and said, how many times on this term have we clicked in this month? And that number of clicks was almost, it was nearly as the number of clicks from search. Now there was another lens that we looked at too, which is, which is even a little bit more, um, more interesting, which is we looked at the total clicks from search compared to total sessions period, right? right. This is much easier to compare. Yes. And we found on average, it was less than 50%, in most cases, less than a quarter was actually from search. So you, you, you added up the search query performance clicks and you compare that to, I'm assuming, the business reports, right? Total. Business reports, sessions, yeah. Okay. So, and you are saying that that's less than half? Less than half, in most cases, less than a quarter was actually from search. Less than a quarter. So, okay. So let's work this backwards. So search query performance is supposed to be the total for those keywords. For those keywords. They they give you only uh, how many? 1,000, right? Yep. And by the time you get to 1,000, the volumes tend to be pretty small, right? Yes. So that means that there are 1,000 keywords that add up to your total clicks generated by those keywords. And exactly. then you compare that against the business reports, total sessions. That means that there is more traffic coming from somewhere else. Somewhere else. Has to somewhere. be somewhere. Okay. Now, those keywords that are in the search query performance, the thousand keywords, the clicks also include the paid, right? Yep. Okay. And you also found that the paid uh, clicks are almost the same as the search query performance clicks. Yep. There's very small difference between the two. Okay. So therefore, you are concluding that if what search query performance shows is the total traffic across keywords and my keyword clicks are almost the same as paid, but I actually have a lot more sessions being logged. They have to be non-keyword specific. 
They got to be non-search. So therefore, they must be coming from something else. That's how you are concluding this. That was our conclusion. I can share a little bit more nuance of like some of the, the case studies that we looked at this. So a lot of them were less than a quarter. Um, the ones that had the highest percentage of traffic from search were brands that were bigger brands that dominated a particular category with a very large category term. So my, my theory is if you are the prevailing brand on a very large category term, I'm talking like top 500 <clears throat> most searched or top 1000 most searched, there's actually a chance that you're getting a, a larger share from uh, search, but that's even a fraction of the brands that we work with. It's um, yeah, for, for the vast majority of, of folks selling, it's just like search just isn't that big unless you're in that top 500 or top 1000 um, keywords and winning okay. most of it. So, you know, you know, there is something called self-fulfilling prophecy. So I wonder if the clients that you are handling have this kind of an operation, because th this is another thing. So if you know this is what's happening and that's where you put your efforts and that's ultimately what you're going to see in your search query performance uh, and paid. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, it's, it's a good point. Uh, what, what I will say is we did look at some, some brands that we weren't actively managing. So it wasn't just our strategy. Um, granted, you know, we tend to work in our categories, which are like, you know, fast moving consumer goods, consumables, food and bev supplements, that kind of stuff. Um, and our strategies tend to be, uh, quite diversified in terms of spend. Like we're not shy in doing keyword bidding. We don't pull back from it by any means. And we, we can get into what do you do from this insight? But, um, but yeah, we're, we're still, we're still bidding on these keywords in some cases, even winning, um, winning top, you know, first page on these keywords. But uh, this was, this was still the result. Well, you know, I can tell you specifically with one client, because uh, we just reviewed it yesterday. I remember their numbers. So typically what I, what I track is in my book, there are three ways to generate revenue on, on Amazon. One is paid search. Yep. Or I should say paid sales. I call them paid sales. Mm -hmm. That's Amazon advertising. The second one is external traffic sales and the organic traffic sales. That's it. So the way I calculate is very simple. We pull all the sponsored brands, sponsored uh, products, sponsored display, and now they have sponsored television, which you know is not that active no. yet. Yeah. Uh, so add up all those buckets, all the clicks. We add up the clicks, and then we get the attribution report to fetch the external clicks. Sure. And then we subtract it from the business report sessions. And that leaves us with the organic. So I'm going about it in a way that does not involve the search query performance because we, this, this is just an exercise about what percentage of the traffic is coming from what. Right. And right. I can tell you this. 
if the listing is optimized, 60% of the traffic comes organically. Yep. And 40% is paid. External usually is fairly small. Yep. So, and if the listing is not optimized, then it flips completely. Uh, right. 60% becomes paid, 40% becomes organic. So that's yeah. what I'm seeing. That about lines up with our ratios too. Uh, yeah, we always say you should get at least half organic sessions. And so when you do the same, it's it's really very, virtually the same methodology. Um, so what you are introducing here as another consideration is if you add up to search query performance clicks, you're going to find that those are the paid clicks. Most of the time. Most of the time. I'm going to check this. <laughs> you know, every, anybody listening this, listening to this episode, this is a big deal. So go download the search query performance report. It's going to give you the whole thing. Don't do it on the screen because it only goes page by page. So just right. download it and then add up the clicks. This, these are the click-throughs. How many clicks? And then okay. go download the uh, sponsored product, sponsored brand, and sponsored display reports. All you're looking for is the clicks, but for the same time frame. Make sure it's the same time because the search query performance does weekly or monthly. So on the advertising here to do Right, so check if they are close. If they are, this is an incredible find, Chris. Yeah, it it definitely was it was a surprise for us. Um, the other thing you can do when you run that that analysis is separate out branded and unbranded. It can be a little bit helpful just to get a little bit more clarity on. Yeah. So if that's the case, then so what's happening is whatever you're doing. It's driving the BSR. Yep. The BSR is what drives your exposure organically. Correct. And our understanding of BSR is it's a function of how many units shipped. Tends to be the trend in most categories that units shipped on like a daily or, or even smaller unit than daily basis is what drives or rank in BSR. Yeah. And so then what that dictates is how much of the organic traffic Amazon gives you. So there is a website, um, and this is obviously that BSR, the number of units uh, that BSR represents uh, is different for different categories, right? So Totally. Uh, yeah. So there is a website that tells you that. If you go to the website and plug in the BSR for a listing, they have like, 20 something charts right on the homepage. And then you go wherever the chart is for your category, right underneath, they have a button and you can plug in the BSR and then it will tell you daily sell through rate. Right. How many units do I have to move to be this rank? Right. So I do that usually. I mean, it's of course it's approximate, but it, it gives a good idea about, you know, where is the moon? Because if you're right. gonna shoot for the moon, then that's where the moon is. So, um, okay, um, when you and I first discussed this, you said something that kind of stuck with me, and I want you to explain because I didn't quite understand. You sure, said that sure. Jeff Bezos is a hedge fund guy, right? So you said 
that's the machinery he built. So explain uh, to us why, because this was your analogy uh, of Amazon methodology uh, for using BSR. You said, well, this is what happens in the hedge fund world. So they created the same thing. It's the BSR that's driving the organic traffic. So you just drive your BSR up, you're going to get a lot of organic traffic. So why is that? So explain that. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned it before that Amazon is like the most democratic platform out there. And it works that way because it's algorithmically driven, right? There's a set of rules. If you push performance, then you get rewarded. Hedge funds are very similar that if, you know, if, if a certain trading strategy is doing well, you put more money into it. A worse trading strategy is doing well, you, you take money away or maybe you shut it down. And so if you, if you think about Amazon, it's like, it's almost like a giant investment algorithm. Amazon rewards you with investment in the form of organic traffic. And so um, as you perform better, they feed you with with more um, more organic, and so it and, and Bezos he he was a uh, hedge fund guy at DE Shaw before he founded Amazon. You know, it's a very pure kind of like reducing all of the platform down to a singular metric that that just stack ranks everybody in terms of performance. Um, and you know, I'm sure a lot of people have tried selling on other websites or platforms, and when the algorithm isn't good or isn't fair. You, you need like someone to put you on the page or you need like an unfair advantage in some way or like special merchandising you pay one time for or things like that to get there. And it's because it's, they're just, you know, not as developed of an, of an algorithm that feeds um, things that perform well. So a long time ago, I used to track BSR fairly closely, but it changed like throughout the day, BSR would be up and down. like really fluctuating big time. So if the BSR is fluctuating big time, what is causing that BSR to fluctuate that much? Um, so it can be two things because it's a stack rank. It could be your peers jumping up and down around you. So it's not just you in control. It's like other people, if they start to sell more, they start to perform, they will jump up and it'll have the effect of pushing you down. Um, you, you see this the most on big sales days. So Prime Day, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and so forth. You look at BSR charts on these days. And, and you know, just to clarify, BSR is within your small subcategory, but it can sometimes be more helpful to look at total sales rank in your parent category. Because you know you hit a ceiling if you're close to number one and so forth. But um, on these big sales days, you will see that BSR shakes up a bunch mm-hmm. because there are people having crazy sales days, and all of a sudden, you know the the ranking shifts, and so the ranking shifts, and then Amazon feeds the ones that are at the top again, and so it's almost like there's this whole shuffle. And then what you find though is um, there's like a natural decay. Where, where people move back to equilibrium unless you're able to like prop up your units to stay where they were on prime day. Um, people de- delay. And like, if you, if you think about it, um, a lot of it's a function of, do you convert on all the organic traffic that Amazon's feeding you? Does that, and if, if you convert on all of it, 
well, you're going to stay there. And this is kind of like what, what you mentioned that like unoptimized pages don't, don't get the organic optimized page is going to convert more. They're going to feed you. You're going to continue to climb. So, okay. So we are now talking about how do we use this, right? So yeah. how do we influence BSR? So that's why I was trying to find out uh, what your take is on what influences. So what I, what I've heard you say is it's not just what you do. It's also what others do. So if you are, uh, doing less than the others, then of course your BSR will be much lower. And and if others are doing badly and then you're doing well, then it's going to shoot through the roof. So, right. right. B- BSR is a pretty good proxy for like market position. In fact, if you, if you're in a slow season, um, it can be helpful to look at your peers BSR too, because it will suggest and, and better if it's BSR in total parent category, because chances are, your subcategory has similar seasonality, but it might not match the total category. Um, and so if you see everyone kind of trending similar as you, you can feel better and say, okay, you know what? There's just less people shopping on these types of products this time of year. But if you see people are moving in a different direction, um, it's a problem. But um, but yeah, I mean, to kind of to kind of address address your point, yes, like you got, you gotta kind of focus on what you can control. And so what, what do you control on it is your objective is to move as many units as possible. That's, that's really what the, the ultimate, um, in the, the ultimate uh, metric is, is move as many units as possible. And so with the idea that all units are kind of equal, you just want to move units at the lowest cost possible or the cheapest ad possible. So, Okay, there's two two things here I want to get 100% clarification. So the organic traffic that you are referring to, that's the high-value organic traffic, does not come from search. So it has nothing to do with search. But when you do it, so in other words, when you say search, there's two there's different types of content in the search results, right? So there's, of course, the sponsored listings and the organic listings. Right. So, but also there are other things around that search, right? There's True. other content. So, so this would then mean that that kind of content would also be about some of the listings that you have uh, that are doing well with BSR would be displayed in that search results page. Those other contents are generally paid. The, like the banners on top and stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. sponsored brands and-, and, and DSP, DSP yeah. Right. Right. And so I think what's happened is as there's been more and more ads, the actual organic squares push far and far further down the page. Like sometimes you have to go full, full page down yes. before you get to those. And yeah, I think yeah. it's just become a small part of how people find products. Okay. So, so bottom line, the search does not deliver your organic bulk of your organic traffic. So it has to be other things. So let's get a little bit specific on, on what those are. I mean, we know about the emails that Amazon sends out. So that's one, right? Yep. So Amazon recommends products, both uh, email and app. Um, a lot of stuff is what you see on your homepage. So buy it again, 
um, related to items that you viewed or items to explore. Sometimes it's on the detail pages of products. So sometimes those carousels are sponsored, but sometimes they're not. And, um, and uh, even there's like, you know, often bought together on the detail pages. Right. That's like really good real estate. So it's, it's all of that kind of stuff. So it's kind of funny to think of it as like traffic. Cause it's not like they're necessarily sending people to you, but they're putting you in places that people, um, that people with high affinity for your type of product are likely to click. Yeah. Like there is on the product detail page of a listing, there are also other products, four star and up, right? So then it's quite likely that they'll put you in there. So that's another. Yeah. Okay. And it's all BSR driven. Okay. So let's dissect that BSR a little bit because BSR on some listings, if you go, there are like four different BSRs. So which BSR are you talking about? So it's ultimately it's sales rank of parent category, <clears throat> which generally when there's more than one BSR, they all sit under the same category. Right. So grocery or health and household or you know home or the, the sports and outdoor, the, those type of categories where like, and then that's also, it's a little bit easier to use that because the numbers are bigger. So it's more sensitive. Right. right. Like it's, you can tell a trend, like, you know, a very good performing product will be in the hundreds, right? right? Most products live in the thousands. And so, so you're not worried if it moves one or two places. It's um, you're, you're able to track that. So you are talking about the top level category, the BSR top level, category. Top level category. Exactly. Okay. I have a question for my listeners. Are you experiencing cash flow challenges with your Amazon business? Well, silly question. Who is not, right? So let me introduce you to Viably, a unique solution tailored for Amazon sellers and e-commerce enterprises. By connecting your Seller Central or Shopify account, you can promptly access funding along with a variety of financial tools, all for a flat fee. It's as simple as that. And for my listeners, they are offering an extra $1,500 in funding for eligible applications. Start your quick and easy application today at runviably.com forward slash legends. And that's runviably.com forward slash legends. So I remember, you know, when I was a seller, I actually used to go by that BSR to do my, I wasn't doing private label. It was, I was, those days, there was no private label. It was just the beginnings, if any. Uh, it was all about arbitrage. So uh, it, it was a matter of looking at two things. Okay, how many pieces is this going to sell? Is it likely to sell? So therefore, I should go and purchase it. And the, the second thing is, which is an unknown, is at what price point? So those right. so many pieces, What at what price point will they sell? So and then at, if they are likely to sell at that price point, how much money is it going to make for me? So therefore I could go and acquire. So that's what I used to do. I actually built algorithms, believe it or not, based around BSR. And also uh, I would track the pricing. So I would mm. have historical data for the pricing. So I could tell that at, at what percentage of the time I will in fact be profitable. 
Fascinating. So it's like an elasticity algorithm almost. Yeah. So in fact, I had a name for it. You know, what happened was I, I, I analyzed this. It took me five months of testing this, my algorithm that I built. So wow. what I did was I thought, okay, there are four types of SKUs. And these are the, when I say four types of SKUs, four statuses of a SKU. And this is, frankly, it's the same situation in your case. Well, today, except that price doesn't go up and down so much, but it's still the right. same uh, based on your inventory. Uh, first status, the most favorable is the item is going to sell at the price that's going to make you the amount of money you want to make on each set. Right. So that's one. The second one is it's not going to make you any money because the price has gone down so low. doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you capture the buy box, you're not going to make money. So right. forget it. That's a loss. So the third one is the borderline. Borderline means that you're not going to make the amount of money that you want to make on each sale. But you can lower your requirement. It was a flag. If you lower your requirement, then you can say, okay, I can sell so many pieces at this new level, lowered level. Why would you want to do that? If you have too much inventory and price has been going down, mm. you want to simply push. So that's the third category. It's, it's not going to make enough money. And in fact, by lowering the threshold even beyond what uh, would make money, uh, you can actually just dump inventory at a loss. It's, it's all about liquidating inventory. Right. So, uh, so this is three statuses. And the fourth one was totally arbitrary. You may be testing something. You just say, I'm going to assign this price and let's see how many it sells. So these four statuses, I thought, okay, this algorithm is going to drive how I capture the buy box and how many pieces I sell. So I said, we have to call this something. What do we call this? And, and I came up with the idea that, okay, the ones that get me the profit I want, they are green. And then the ones that don't, red. So you have green skews, red skews. And then those that sell at a lower margin, yellow. And then uh, the one, the arbitrary ones, purple. So green, yellow, purple, red. Those are the colors. And then I called my system Gipper. Gipper. <laughs> so Gipper would run my whole operation. So, and to this day in my SaaS platform, we use Gipper as a, for prioritization. You just simply sure. separate everything based on the algorithm. So this applies to BSR. You can take the BSR, in your case, as a private label, price is not so much a factor. You can easily say, okay, if the BSR is between this and this, it's like to sell this many. And uh, between this and this, so you can easily create some kind of uh, an algorithm around it. I can see that happening. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Um, Nick, I got I got one more story for you if you're interested about what you can do with this search query. Instance. Absolutely, yes. So we took it a step further. So, I mean, the the, the big the big conclusion from this was the kind of like old school logic of, of buying top of search ads was 
you pay more than you'd be willing to normally on a profitability basis because you get to the top and you get more organic traffic. And so our conclusion from that was, you know, we actually should have the same conversion threshold as other types of ads. It shouldn't be that this one's like gets a special treatment because it's top of search, unless we really believe that you get um, get a bonus from it. And so what we wanted to understand was um, how much is it worth it to improve your uh, click share or conversion share on an individual term? And so if you combine the search frequency report with the um, top search terms report, so search frequency report will tell you total count of conversions on an individual search term, right? Right. The top search terms report tells you search frequency rank, conversion share of top three ASINs. And so what you can do is you can say, okay, so let's say the conversion share is 12% top ASIN, 10% second ASIN, 8% third ASIN. You can multiply that by the number of conversions, make an assumption on AOV and say, this is how much it's actually worth to, um, to be one, two or three on this term. And so the way we put that to practice with our clients is we say, okay, you're you're getting this many conversions if we bid you up to be three, two, or one rank on that individual term, the gap in conversions would be this much in, um, in monthly sales. And so that's a really cool way to say, okay, how much exactly could I get if I improved my conversion set share on this individual term? I see. So, this is, okay, let's unpack this because I understand. So let's walk through because when, when it comes to data, you know, everything is specific and you have to- uh, For sure. Just, yeah. So what you're talking about is go to the brand analytics page. So that's the yep. search query performance. So now on that page, you have all the keywords or search terms and what are your click-through rates for each one? Of course, it shows you your your impression share then it shows your click share then it shows your cart ad rate and then you have your purchase rate everything is in that report so what you are specifically looking at is the ones that you are getting the best click through rates right it's actually the ones that are big look for a yeah. term that's big that you think okay i would like to have bigger share in this term bigger click share yeah or conversion share actually just conversion share yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then you go to the top search. It's on the same page, but it's a different option in the menu. Top search terms report. And and in that top search terms report, you are seeing, but this is for a specific keyword, right? Right. So you go one keyword on search query, and then you type it in and find it on top search terms. Right, right. So you go to the top search term uh, option and, and right there you have to plug in that search term that you want to target and then it's going to give you the ones that are getting the most clicks on it. Exactly. All of a sudden you can see your com competition. One, two, and three. And it's, it's percentages. Click share and conversion share. 
And because you know your own share, you can back into how much dollars those percentages are actually worth and then make a guess at, and then the other thing too, is I think like you can make a reasonable guess, which is like, okay, I'm not one, two or three. It's reasonable if I really worked at it and proved my product, I could get to two or three, but I'm not gonna be three times bigger than the best one, unless I think my product and listing is way better. And so it sets kind of like a reasonable range of what that search term could return for you. So how do you increase your click-through rate or your conversion rate uh, on those specific search terms? That's not easy. Um, either, either one, you pay for it heavily, right? Top of search dominance. Um, and, and, and so that, that's where we kind of get to this point of like, is it worth it to pay for it heavily? And you can see like, okay, we'll go from 5% share to 10% share. And how much dollars is that worth it? Like, would I, would I invest a lot into that? And then the other is of course, like if you improve your listing, improve your reviews, improve your content, you'll, you'll slow, slow burn, but you'll, you'll increase. So I mean, the expensive way is just go increase your bids so that you can dominate those keywords. And right. the cheaper way, a little bit harder, you simply optimize your listing around that particular term, your pictures, your videos or whatever. Yeah, you can look at the people who are one, two, and three and say, how are they different? Is there anything that I can do to like be closer to them? Like... A, um, and, and so sometimes it's like a different keyword angle or different well, I mean, content also positioning there's reviews, angle. There's, there's reviews. Right. Yeah. Right. Sometimes so, it's going to be hard if there's someone with a hundred thousand reviews and, you know, to, to close that gap. And, uh, and, and that should also set your willingness to invest in that term. Cause if someone has a hundred thousand reviews and has 10% and you have, you know, a few conversions, but 10% is only worth you know, however many dollars, it's not really worth it for you to invest heavily on that term. So at the end of the day, based on our earlier discussion, if you do that bidding because it's worth it, whatever, and then you optimize and then everything comes from that search term, you convert, really doesn't bring you any more organic traffic, right? <laughs> Because not not that much, not that much. And <laughs> if, if I could show you my the, the page that I'm looking at that I present sometimes, the the other point of it is that search terms are smaller than people think. Like a uh, you know one one percent of a top one thousand keyword may only be you know a few thousand dollars a week or something like that. It's, it's not as massive as, and so that's, even if it's paid, it's not as big as you think, but then, but then yes, to your point, there isn't like a lot of, yeah all of a sudden people are going to scroll down to page two and click on your organic because you're in the top. So at the end of the day, really the concept here you are introducing is people don't have to do anything different than what they are doing to rank high on keywords and keep advertising on those specific keywords. Why? Because they need the sales velocity, right? They need the sell-through rate to be as high as possible. So how are you going to get those sales without targeting specific keywords? If you don't target anything, you're not going to have focus. You're going to waste money. So, so they have to keep doing that. But what you are really saying is 
Do not think that that is going to bring you organic traffic for those keywords. It's All it's going to do is it's going to rank up your BSR, and then that increase in your BSR will give you the organic traffic. That's what you are saying. That's right. And so it's don't overspend on those big ones. If like, you know, and find the cheaper conversions. And so the way that we do it is we look at all the different formats and targeting types and we test them all and say, okay, what are the lower costs? Because sometimes the like biggest, you know, most appealing looking category terms are just expensive. And we say, you know what, if it's not a good deal, we'll, we'll just spend on the, on the lower cost, like long tail type. Um, keywords. Well, that's uh, this kind of... Uh, so really, what are some recommendations that people should do? They, they should track their BSR? Um, yeah, so, so I'd say track your BSR. It's a really good metric uh, um, for relative performance. And like if your BSR is moving up in the in the right direction, it means that your organic traffic is growing too. And that just means Amazon is working. If the opposite is happening, you're actually losing on two fronts, right? Your conversions and how much organic traffic is Amazon is. So that's that's recommendation one. Recommendation two is don't overspend on search conversions. It's still you should still be advertising in search for sure, but you shouldn't be doing these like, you know. Uh, over 100% ACoS conversions. Like those just don't really make sense unless you unless you have some like really aggressive growth mandate or something like that. And um, I think that the third recommendation is actually try the other ad formats. We we look at a lot of ad performance um, console, uh, ad consoles and audit them and usually find people underinvest in... Um, PAT, ASIN, detail page targeting. Uh, they might not try some of like the newer, smaller formats. And it's not like these are going to end up being the driver of your total ad strategy, but you might be able to get a few lower cost conversions from them. And that's the most efficient use of your dollars. And which, which ones are your favorite alternative formats? Um, I actually, so there's... <clears throat> two good ways to look. One is look at formats that people use less. So anything video, people, there's like a barrier to entry with video. So like sponsor brand video has always been a good performer. Um, and then I, I actually think uh, detail page targeting can be, can be quite good because there's also an additional real insight there, which tells you if your product is actually really interesting to consumers of that product. Um, and usually the result is a little bit surprising, even for brands who like are in retail stores and think they know their peers who they convert against on Amazon sometimes is not what you'd expect. And so it's cool to just like throw, you know, a few dozen into a, into a campaign, test a few clicks, you know, don't have to burn a ton of money on it, see which ones actually get click throughs and convert. And then all of a sudden you start to know, okay, I can acquire a few units through here and fly acquire a few units through there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, sponsored brand video ads, we've also found that they get pretty good results. Of course, this also means that you have to have a video and video is not the kind of video that you want to take with your iPhone. It has to be a professionally produced video that, that I... needs to be concise, right? 
Yeah, you know, we actually will sometimes, there's actually great services out there um, and, and probably even more now with um, AI, AI tools or generative AI tools that you can make, um, I'd call them like slideshow-like videos right. where rather than human actors, it's like text is moving, images of the product is moving, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's less about the quality of video and it's more about just being able to use that inventory on the page that ends right. up being just more, more efficient. And of course you can optimize it, but we found like, you know, we have a wide range of video quality and it all still performs pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of video, but uh, I don't use AI. I, I, I take it back. We write the script for the video. Right. So, so we write the script and as far as making that script uh, more, if you like, specific, then we use yeah. AI in terms of what, well, like, for example, uh, we say, okay, the, in fact, I, I created a template for creating your promo video script, uh, where the first is you come up with a theme. What will be the theme? You go to AI and say, this is what I want to do. And then give me three suggestions for a theme. And generally, they just inspire for more ideas. Right. You don't use them exactly. So, and then you go on to, and then you break it down, and then you describe each scene, and then you ask for five examples for each scene, and then so on and so forth. So, uh, ultimately, it becomes. But the production of it uh, then is up to the uh, the person who's producing. They can use AI, but it's a, it's a process. Yep. And there's there's some tools out there that will make that. Even before the recent AI boom, they'd make you those types of slideshow-like stuff, um, yeah. and and those those are good enough. Like you know, cool. Just help people see your product. Well, I I have to say you are definitely going to make news with this theory. So when did you find out about this, or how did it come about? You know, this was last summer, and. So we work with a lot of really um, performance-minded D2C brands. So really, really good data-driven, mathy performance marketers. And so some of them were saying like, Chris, but like, what is the real ROI of like a branded ad? Like, why should I do it? And so kept having to break it down and say like, okay, it's about sales rank. It's about this and that. And they're like, but wait, I heard all this stuff about search. And they're like, okay, I have to figure that out too. And then kind of had this aha of like, okay, we can, you can see all these different pieces of the puzzle. You put them together. And then all of a sudden you could get, just get a better explanation of how it works and what kind of ROI you get from your investment. To me, the, the evidence is the total clicks in your advertised traffic. Uh, matches your search query performance traffic. Evidence number one. Evidence number two is take any one of those totals, if they are close, take the largest one, and then compare that against the total traffic, total number of sessions in business reports, whatever that gap is. Non-search traffic. I rest my case, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're good at making it more concise than me. I have like all these charts and numbers and stuff like that. There's three things you have to look at. I'm going to do that right after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
<laughs> I love and, it. And, and all of you listening, you must do this. Go run your search. You don't need to worry about sponsored product. Just take complete this. The most important thing is it has to be the same time frame. So if yeah. you're looking at and search query performance will dictate that because they give you week by week or month by month. Yeah. So uh, take the month. That's a much better way. Take the month from search query performance and then go pick up the advertising reports for the same month on all different formats of advertising. And then for the same time frame, download the business reports and yeah. check the sessions. That's I'm, I'm yeah, I'm excited to hear hear what people find. I bet you, I mean, some of the times that I've shared this, people have been like, what? No, like clicks doesn't include that or search query performance doesn't include this or that. There's like a lot of stuff in the margin to debate. But um, but yeah, I mean, we've we've looked at we've looked at like 10 different brands for this, and the trend was pretty, pretty consistent. And so we'll be excited. Oh, I tell you another sexy way of tracking this. Now, it's not possible to do it daily. I would do it daily because you can do it daily with advertising report and the business report, but not mm. with search query performance. You could do it weekly. You could create one chart that shows advertise clicks, search query performance clicks, business reports clicks, BSR, stacked. Oh, yeah. Love it. There you know. Right? That's how you know what's driving the business right there. Yeah. That's going to tell you the whole story. And the one addition we do to a, a report very similar to that is breaking out branded, unbranded. Yes, yes. Helps branded, unbranded is a big deal. Yeah. Cool. Chris, this is a this is a quite a I love this conversation. Uh, so we may be finding uh, something that uh, people don't really think about much, but uh, it's a it's a big deal. So tell us a little bit about yourself now. I want to know you even more. So. Uh, so <laughs> So uh, as I introduce you as the money guy, so tell me, start from the beginning. Where did you grow up and when did you realize that you were interested in this kind of uh, smart stuff? So I, I grew up in Cupertino in Northern California, south of San Francisco, kind of like heart of Silicon Valley. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, was kind of kind of always involved, interested in tech as a kid. Everyone's parents were, my, my mother's from the Philippines, everyone's parents are, uh, immigrants who go to Silicon Valley. And so there's a lot of like tech interest and general, um, you know, interest in just being creative about technology. And then I went to college at Cornell in upstate New York, um, studied industrial labor relations there, which is kind of like a business degree, kind of like a law, law degree. And then um, I actually did an internship at Google. And rather than go there, I went to McKinsey to be a consultant and, uh, found that I just had a knack for, for numbers, but also a knack for like explaining numbers. And so not only could I dig through it, but, but bubble it up to insight. And where do you think that uh, you inherited that, that curiosity for numbers and explaining? Um, yeah. I mean, definitely my parents, uh, they're both, uh, curious, adventurous learners. What kind of work did they do? Um, so they met at Intel, uh, the semiconductor oh. company in, uh, in Northern California. And so my mom was in, was in marketing. She was a, a PMM, product marketing manager. And my dad was in human resources. And okay. uh, 
and yeah, it was just kind of like uh, they worked in an industry that was that was cutting edge. It was exploratory. It was before tech was very cool. Tech was always cool. It got a lot more glamorous in the last twenty years. Yeah, there's a lot yes. more money in Silicon Valley and all that kind of stuff. Well, it Internet. was. I mean, tech, tech was either big machines. This is before computers came along. It was either big machines. Or when computers came along, it was these mainframes. It wasn't really within reach. But then, of course, between Microsoft and Apple, it just became everybody's tool. Right, right. There's actually, it's interesting, there's multiple generations of Silicon Valley. There's, you know, the big machines, personal computer and hardware, software and internet. And there's actually, especially like hardware to software and internet, it's pretty different. Um, that uh, there's almost like a different community, different network. So your parents, uh, you said your your mother is from the Philippines. Uh, your mm-hmm. father is... He's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So what brought him to Silicon Valley? Uh, he, uh, he went to CU Boulder in Colorado for college. And um, yeah, just happened to, I think it was part of a business club that, that brought him to Silicon Valley and then met some folks at Intel and got a job there. So your interest in numbers and explaining numbers and making use of them, it's it's all because of the environment you grew up in, right? So your parents pretty much nurtured you in that environment, which hearing from you, it goes back to that club that sent your father to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have you ever have you ever visited them and told them? right i mean my mom went way further she she had to go across the, the entire ocean to get to intel oh yeah but i mean i i'm just assuming maybe it's, it's wrong but uh i don't know your parents of course but usually you know wives follow husbands right so oh no they met there oh they met in the philippines no they met at intel as co-workers oh, they met at intel so how did your mother end up in Intel. Why? Why Intel? So um, she was. Do uh, you know the business club ISEC? It's another club. Uh, she was the president of the Philippines in ISEC, and so Intel had this international recruiting program, and they hired her, brought her to brought her to Silicon Valley. ISEC is English, you know. It's for English. Yeah. Yep. And Philippines is a full English speaking. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I remember because when I was in high school, because I didn't grow up in, in, in the U.S., right. one of my classmates came to the United States through that ISEC program. Oh, no way. Yes. So I, I'm very familiar with the program. So yeah. your mother well, they came to America through ISEC and then ended up in Intel and uh, met your father. Wow. You are quite a production. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a lot of it was a lot of work, and I'm I'm one of four, so I have three siblings, and two of them, like- uh, all pretty all pretty analytical, all pretty uh, academically driven. My sister also went to Cornell. She's a consultant in New York. My brother. Do you ever have arguments, or do, are you like very analytical, dry, cold <laughs> discussions, debates? <laughs> <laughs> um, d- 
definitely lean a bit more analytical. Like people, if people are like getting too excited or people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like let's, let's talk it through. Let's stick to the fact. Let's hear the evidence. Let's hear the arguments. And so it was a big, it was a big part of actually our childhood. Our parents are very much like, think about the facts, debate, balance ideas, be curious about what the right solution is, that kind of stuff. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, you know, I want to ask you a question. Since your parents are, and, and you, of course, as a result, a product of Silicon Valley, do you know why Silicon Valley became so uh, famous and it was called Silicon Valley? Um, I think it was because the, uh, the semiconductor companies with the silicon wafers back in the 60s, um, and so most semiconductors were thin slices of silicon that that but power why, is but why why on, on the west coast why in that area oh that's a good question um i know there's been speculation about it why it ended up being there in particular i think um there was the right combination of a few things there's a lot of good education nearby so stanford berkeley Santa Clara University, San Jose State, all pretty good universities there. There was um, there was a number of military research facilities um, that you know pushed hard engineering, and then um, I think uh, yeah, Bell Labs was there too. That there are some very high tech, you know, very original. Um, you know, technology places that just happened to feel facilitated and then, um, you know, became a, a real hot spot for, for immigrants, um, particularly from Asia who are, who are in tech as well. And it kind of like blossomed from there. Well, all those, they are part of the reason, but you want to know the real reason why it started why? there, Northern California. So back then, when they were, and, and you're right about semiconductor uh, being made. So that's where the name came from. But why it started in that region is because those days, 1950s, the, in America, corporate world was everybody, you know, after the Second World War, people want to have a, a good life, a good home, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, they, they would, their dream was always start working for a company and then work there for life right. and, and work your way up the ranks. So the culture, the corporate culture was, if you worked in one of those big companies, your promotion would be exactly the same wherever you went, where you would first start with a small desk and it would be become a bigger desk and a room and a corner office, blah, blah. So, and everybody uh, dressed the same way. You were suit and tie. And, and it was, you know, same time, break, same time. So it was extremely well-regulated way of working. And you would do that your entire life. So there was a handful of uh, these rebels, right. very smart guys, had big dreams, big visions. And... And they said, screw this. I'm not, I'm not going to live my life this way. So, and they heard about this place in Northern California. And they said, well, I'm going to go there. 
So they start this movement where they come to work anytime, any way they want to look, and there's no more desks and cubicles. And so it became a movement. And, and of course, those people who had ideas and smart and blah, blah, with all the resources around the place, it just became this magnet that, you know, attracted all these people. But it was all about rebelling against this corporate structure in America, mm. which was the case on the East Coast. Right, right. No, it, make, it makes sense. Is when when I went to school on the East Coast, the culture I was there was culture shock for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So uh, tell us how can people reach you? Uh, get, share your contact information with us. Sure, sure. So best place to to find us is. Uh, First, probably LinkedIn. We post a lot of content on LinkedIn, monthly white paper. We have a newsletter you can sign up for. Um, and we actually even post weekly tidbits on Amazon of our latest findings um, every week. Uh, we also have a website. It's www.gocartograph.com. That's uh, C-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-P-H. Um, and then uh, feel free to add me on LinkedIn or uh, or email me directly. I'm Chris at gocartograph.com. Great. Thank you, Chris. I love the conversation. And I'm telling you, you're going to get emails. People don't see the numbers that you've been talking. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I want to be proved wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is, uh, look, uh, this is clearly numbers won't lie. So once you see the numbers, you're going to see for yourself. And and definitely a, a big, big eye-opener conversation. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's been a lot of fun. Before I go, a quick reminder to say goodbye to your cash flow problems and claim your extra $1,500 when you qualify for $25,000 or more in funding. Go to www.runviably.com forward slash legends and start your application today. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.